1 Corinthians chapter 1. I hope I can pronounce all the words tonight. They, I think there's no big words, you know. Over in the New Testament, it's usually easier, right? So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This morning, we, uh, we were looking over in Philippians chapter 1 and examining how Paul modeled some very important things for us to replicate in our Christian walk, you know, and what better than the first of the year to kind of get a, a refresher course, so to speak, or to remind us of some things uh, that we should be looking at each and every day. And uh, you remember those things he talked about over in Philippians, uh, we're allowing Christ to be magnified through our lives, and we looked at especially on the bad days, especially during the rough patches of life, we should allow our lives to magnify Jesus Christ to those around us, because that's when more people are watching us. And the other thing we looked at is that our true joy is found when we are really of one mind with Jesus. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we're of one mind with Jesus, that's where we really find true joy. And so as Paul writes the letter uh, to the believers in Corinth, the one we're going to look at tonight, he does so with a bit of a different spirit than he wrote to the Philippian believers. Because oh, if we look at the, the, the Philippians, that, that letter was a tender letter of gratitude, uh, thanking them for a gift they had sent. Uh, certainly, as you read through the book of Philippians, it's filled with joy. It's filled uh, with that uh, spirit of thanksgiving. You don't find uh, much, if any, uh, kind of scolding as you need to do this better, kind of like uh, Paul may do in some of his letters. You know, maybe there's a lesson there. You know, the Philippians, they were a gracious people. This could be a completely different sermon. I'm just throwing it in here in the introductory remarks. They were, they were, they were, uh, they, they're giving people. And you know, when you're giving, like the Philippians did, and Paul was saying thank you, but when you're giving, you're not thinking about yourself, are you? You're thinking about those you're trying to help. And if you think about when we get in the most trouble... Uh, especially probably in our spiritual walk, but when we get in the most trouble in life, it's usually when we're thinking about ourselves. There's just a little side note. That part was free. Didn't have anything to really do with 1 Corinthians, but we're going to get there. First, but the, the Corinthians, the letter that, that he writes to the Corinthians uh, was different because they're very prideful people. Lots of problems within that church, within that body of believers because they did think about themselves. They thought very highly of themselves. They thought about themselves a lot. And we know that the, the gospel leaves no room for that. The gospel leaves no room for pride. The, the gospel leaves no room for self-centeredness because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And so through the gospel, we should seek to see how we can be used for his glory. That's what Paul points out to the Corinthians here. And if we're going to be used effectively for him, I think we can learn from some of the mistakes of the Corinthians. So read just a few passages of Scripture, a few verses of Scripture here tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 26. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. 
and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray together tonight. Gracious God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be back here tonight. I pray that you would teach us, you would allow your Holy Spirit to teach us in this time, and that your words would be spoken from here tonight, and that we'd leave here tonight uh, just seeking to live a life that would bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't plan to keep you long tonight. I don't know about you, my caffeine's worn off, you know. About the time I was getting ready to walk out the door to go to church, I'm thinking, Whew, I could use some caffeine, but then I'd be up all night. So just bear with me, you know. We're, we, I'm not highly caffeinated tonight, as I sometimes am. But something jumps out at me as we read through this text. And this, and this is something, and I, I used this text Wednesday night with the teenagers, and I told them this too. As we read through this text, one thing that jumps out at me says, you know what, God's not impressed by us. He's really not. He's not impressed by our looks. He's not impressed by our social standing. He's not impressed by our achievements or, or our heritage, our lineage. You know, it, it's, it's like I had a, a science teacher in high school in Louisville, and he was, um, he was a mean little Italian man, okay? And uh, he, uh, he would walk in. He had what he called his word list. And it was just this, all these scientific words and, and with their little definitions. And he gave it to you at the beginning of the year and dare you lose that list. Okay? If you lost that list, you were pretty much dead. But if the class was too loud, the class was unruly, he'd walk in like this. That's how he did three, you know. And you knew that meant you had to copy the word list three times. You know, that's what he did. Oh, it was really bad. He'd walk in sometimes with different numbers. <laughs> Three was the minimum. It'd go up from there. But he'd say, I don't care who your mama is. I don't care who your daddy is. This is what you're going to do. And there was one kid in the class whose dad was the prosecuting attorney, and he really gave that kid a hard time. I don't care who your daddy is. You're writing the word list, you know. Well, when it comes to, you know, God has given us a way to live, and it's like, he doesn't really care what our lineage is. He has the same high expectations for all of us. He doesn't care about how big our, our bank account is. He has the same expectations for us all. Because as we read through this and we look at the first thing that Paul points out, we can see that he reminds them who they are. They're just normal, everyday people. They're just sinners. Remember he said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He, they're, they're not necessarily special. Now, they thought they were special. But look at verse 26. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You might not be the smartest person in the room, but if you're saved, you're called. You might not be the mightiest person in the room, you might not be the noblest person in the room, but if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, you're called. So I'm saying, remember who you are. Some people think they don't have anything to offer in service to God, in service to the church. And Paul said, you know, I mean, note that he, said, that he says, not many are wise, not many 
are mighty. Not many are noble. Some are. Some who are called are wise. They are noble. They are mighty. But not many. But all who are saved are called. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians and reminds us as we begin this year is kind of this question. He says, what's your excuse? I know you're not the smartest person in the room, he says. I know you're not the mightiest person in the room, the noblest person in the room, but you're called and you have work to do. What's your excuse? And since every believer is called into service in the kingdom of God, you're called if you're saved. I'm called because I'm saved. He says, if you're called, you've got a job to do. Now, here's what I say. You're either doing it or you're not, right? There's no in-between. There's no, oh, I'm going to get to it tomorrow. It's kind of like my yard, you know. I've been waiting on all the leaves to fall. Well, they fell. Well, then it rained. Oh, I'll get to it later. Now, I'm thinking I might try to get out tomorrow, depending on how cold it is, before the snow comes, you know, and get some of it done at least. But, you know, but I tell my neighbors every time I see them, hey, I'm going to get to it. But guess what? I'm not so far. It's not like I've kind of done it. I just hadn't done it. You either do it or you don't. Same with our work in the church. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. And Peter echoes this over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, says, As each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In the English Standard Version, and I think in the New American Standard Bible as well, it says, As each of you has received a gift, use it. Well, that's, what, that's what Paul is, is telling the Corinthians. Look, you're called. You're called and given a gift. Use it. Don't use excuses that I'm not wise enough or I'm not strong enough or I'm not smart enough. People don't like me enough. Use the gift God has given you. A little bit further over in this letter in, in, in uh, chapter 12, uh, Paul talks about us all being part of the body of Christ. But he had to set this part straight in chapter 1 before he could get to this in chapter 12. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, he says this, For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Talking about the church, the body of Christ. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. You hear that? God set the members, you and I, in the body, not the way we wanted, not for our comfort necessarily, not because I really like these people better than these people, so I'm going to make sure everything I do in the church or in the work of the kingdom involves these people. That's not what I said God did. He said he set us in the body just as he pleases Continuing in verse 19, it says, And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So all members of the body, even if you're not the most, the, the, the most wise, the wisest. See, I'm not. Even if you're not the most noble or, or the most mighty, you're called and you're a part of the body. So Paul reminds us of that as we begin this year, rem- reminding us that we're part of this body and we have a job to do. Just like that description over in chapter 12, we can't just say, well, I'm not going to do my part. Because what happens when a part of our body stops working? Well, we may end up in the hospital or we may end up in the doctor's office. We say we're sick. We don't want our church to be sick just because we decide not to do our part. You have a place in the body of Christ, Paul says. No excuses. So the next thing I want to point out is he reminded them why God called them some people say God couldn't use me because you don't know what I've done or you don't know where I've been or or again they say well he can't use me for that I'm not I'm not I'm not smart enough to teach a class I'm not smart enough to to do this or that or or I'm not talented enough to to do that And, and Paul says well let me just remind you why God called you In verse 27, it says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things, meaning the lowest things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words... God chooses the lowly. God chooses the person who may think they're not so smart. God chooses the person who might not think they're mighty enough. And he uses them and he allows his wisdom and his might and his nobility and his whatever other descriptive words we want to use to shine through that person to show that, no, that person doesn't have the power to do it, but God working through that person does. And so in what areas could he use you? that maybe you or I don't think we're, quote, good enough to do. Church history is full of stories of people who come from the lowest of society, the worst of sinners, the vilest of men and women, and God changes their life and uses them to do miraculous things for his glory. Wouldn't it just be easier if God got all the smart people to teach the classes? Now, we have some very smart people teaching classes. Don't think I'm saying just because people are teaching classes, they're not smart, okay? Uh, but, but wouldn't it be easier if God just chose to, to save all the good people? You think, well, maybe that would be easier. But if he did that, his glory wouldn't be what was shining. It would be the glory of the flesh. And verse 29 says he does all this so that no flesh should receive glory in his presence. Last thing, the last thing Paul reminds us or reminded them and reminds us as we read this text is that we may not be able to do it, but we have, we can harness the power that allows us to do these things. Look in verse 30. It says, but of him, of, of, <clears throat> but of him 
you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We shouldn't compare ourselves to each other. That's what the Corinthian believers were doing. They were comparing themselves to each other. Well, why did he get that spiritual gift? Shouldn't I? Aren't I wiser and shouldn't I have gotten that spiritual gift? Why did she get that gift? Shouldn't I have gotten that gift? Well, I, I would so much have rather have had what she got than what I got. You know, it's kind of like I'd love to be able to play the piano, but you know what? I probably never will. Okay, that's just I've resigned to that fact because that takes a certain discipline that I do not have. But in the place where God has placed us for service, we have all we need. Because here's what Paul's saying. We have his all. We have Jesus's all. We have his wisdom. We have his righteousness. We have his sanctification. We have his redemption. Because of what we have in him, we ought to use it to live for him. God's called us. We'll get out of, if we'll just get out of the way and allow him to work in us and through us, let me tell you, this next year could be the greatest year for us and our spiritual lives as individuals. And it could be the biggest year for us as a church. But it, what it takes is us getting out of the way and remembering, hey, we're just lowly humans but he's called us to harness his power and do the things that he desires for us to do. Is there anything before we're dismissed? If not, if you'd stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.